Hey everyone, welcome to an all new Suiting Up podcast presented by Public.com and OutSystems. This is episode number 13 of season 3. There are 15 total. It's coming to an end. I'm your host, Paul Rabel. If the Huffington Post sounds familiar to you, well it should. It's one of the largest media companies in the world. Ariana Huffington, who we're lucky to sit with today, started that company in 2005. When she sold her company to AOL in 2011, she stayed on as the editor-in-chief, then continued her entrepreneurial career by founding and inevitably becoming the CEO of Thrive Global. And she's authored 15 books along the way. She's a business person that I deeply admire, of course, because of the organizational structure she's put into place, but also because of her thought leadership. Ariana's brilliant and caring. She's practical and empathetic. And in a world that really has never felt as politically divisive as today, Ariana has tended to her career on the right, independent, and on the left. She even once ran for governor of California as an independent. It's with that that she's equipped with both the action and communicative skills needed for effective and desperately needed public discourse today. Her life's work has culminated in a place where she can lend helpful and caretaking advice to all of us on what it means to be successful, no matter where we are, and the journey that lies ahead, unknown to us, from familial relationships to platonic, romantic. We discuss the importance of personal well-being first. If you can't take care of yourself, how can you expect to be there for others? This episode is packed with her tips. And quick shout out to Adam Grant, an organizational psychologist, famously known and former guest on the show for introducing us so that we could have this conversation. I often discuss the power of kindness in relationships, how one leads to the other. And I'll be the first to say that the greatest benefit from launching this show in 2017 has without a doubt been spending time with these brilliant guests, and sometimes for the first time. Here's episode 13, featuring entrepreneur, author, media mogul, mother, and friend, Ariana Huffington. Today's show was also made possible by our presenting sponsors, FirstPublic.com. They offer a whole new way to invest for you and I. They make the stock market social, so you can follow other investors, learn about the markets, discover companies to believe in, and invest with any amount of your money. Check out Public.com today and OutSystems. They provide the tools to help companies quickly build apps for web and mobile to solve for your business needs. PLL used OutSystems to help us design our COVID app for medical safety protocol in the championship series in 2020. We're going to continue to work with them. Check out OutSystems.com for your business needs. Ariana, thank you so much for joining us today. Paul, I'm excited to be with you. I love what you are doing and looking forward to our conversation. Great. And I want to cover as much as we can in a limited but very valuable time of yours. So I'll start off by approaching the first topic or word. And I know that you're one of the most influential people in the world. You've run for office. You built a global media empire. You have discussions with CEOs and employees, a mother. This past year has been difficult on all of us. You wrote an article that first cited Collins Dictionary and the word that they acknowledged for 2020, and they called it lockdown. Merriam-Webster called it pandemic was their word of 2020. They also acknowledged quarantine and asymptomatic. And then the Oxford English Dictionary, instead of doing one word, did a 38-page report on how they could possibly you know, coin 2020 for everything that was going on between not just the pandemic, but the acknowledgement of further systemic racism 
a big time, probably the largest presidential election we've had in the modern era. You disagree with all of these choices. There's a single word that sums up 2020 for you. It resonated with me. Do you want to start there and talk about it? Yes. Uh, my word is resilience. And it's also the word I would pick for 2021. Hmm. Uh, because what we discovered, Paul, uh, during this extraordinary pandemic year, a year, as you said, of incredible losses, you know, losses of loved ones, financial losses, disruption, what we discovered was that building these inner qualities that lead to resilience was absolutely essential. I mean, really, philosophers throughout the ages and spiritual teachers have always talked about uh, our inner wisdom and developing these inner skills. But managing a year like this without resilience was incredibly hard. So in a way, this forced pause has demanded of all of us to develop the skills, to take the time away from our usually frenetic, breathless lives, mm. uh, to learn how to find, I like to call it the eye in the hurricane, mm. and to know that we all have access to that place of peace and strength in us. You know, I don't know anybody who lives there all the time, certainly not me, <laughs> but knowing that it's there, knowing that we have access to it, changes how we approach a life of incredible uncertainty, anxiety, and something that's not going to end. I mean, even when we're out of the pandemic, hmm. uh, we are going to be in an era of incredible constant change and disruption. I love that you, while describing resilience around the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties, you also said it's not just about recovering to where you were, it's about getting forward. So not just bouncing back, bouncing forward, but you also said that resilience is, is largely developed. It's, it's nurtured, it's not by nature. How do people develop resilience? Well, one of the things we've found at Thrive that makes me so optimistic is that you can develop it through micro steps. Uh, we call micro steps, you know, uh, too small to fail, okay. like tiny daily incremental changes that lead to healthier habits that connect us to ourselves. The reason why that makes me so optimistic is that anything else that demands a big overhaul about resilience or how we eat or how much we move or how we sleep seems overwhelming. Yeah. But. If I tell you in whatever area you want to work on that you can start so small that you can build these muscles of success, and you know as an athlete that when, when you begin to build these muscles of success, you become more successful. It, it's cumulative, right? Yep. For us, my favorite micro step, and we have hundreds, uh, that builds resilience, but also can build any healthy habit you want, is based on um, the neuroscience that tells us that it takes 60 to 90 seconds to course correct from stress. Hmm. You know, I like to be very practical. And, you know, stress is unavoidable. I don't know a single human being that has a stress-free existence. Right. But cumulative stress is avoidable. And it's cumulative stress that's the, the killer. Let's take something that 
most of us who are lucky to be able to work from home have been experiencing, which is Zoom fatigue. Yep. If you take 60 seconds between Zoom to get up and stretch, to take deep conscious breaths, to remember what you're grateful for, whatever you choose to do, it literally moves you from the sympathetic nervous system, the fight or flight, to the parasympathetic nervous system. It, it releases the cortisol hormone. It's kind of extraordinary to know that we have this magical power in us and that most of our lives we don't use it. Wow. There's something else that, that you talked about and referenced pretty regularly, and it's in line with our stress, and that's actually designating time to experience that stress. You call it worry time. You know, from, a, from a framing standpoint, you're one of the best at reframing areas that are really challenging. It's like we actually try to avoid stress, and you're saying, actually, Paul, designate five minutes a day in your calendar to worry. How have you found that successful? Well, what happened is that we developed this program called Thriving Mind, which Stanford, based on their latest brain research. And what Thriving Mind does, it, it um, helps you assess your stress type. We all have different stress types. And, and there are eight uh, biotypes, as they call them, that they've come up with. So mine is to be a ruminator. Yeah. A ruminator is somebody who goes over something I did wrong or I think I said wrong and and uh, goes over and over and over the same thing and it's totally exhausting, depleting and unproductive. Yep. And I've suffered from that rumination tendency all my life until I started using this technique, which is, okay, when that feeling comes up, I call it the voice of the obnoxious roommate living in my head, you know, the voice of doubt and self-judgment. I say, okay, we have five minutes at five o'clock that we're going to write all that down. And then it's easier to silence that voice because you're acknowledging it. You're not bearing right. it. And then you write it down and you, you write it down. You don't have to solve it. You just acknowledge it. And often that's all that that ruminating voice needs. Yeah. Do you think the, the ruminators, and I would consider myself one of them as well, it, it's, a, it's a big weight to carry. Uh, to me, what I've learned, especially in sports, as you've referenced sports twice now, if you're not ruminating on something that you would like to have done differently or change, maybe that's a larger issue. And so there's a, there's a level of self-awareness, but it can quickly turn against you and become you know, a very heavy barbell that's resting on your back. The, the rumination related to sport is often happening during a game where we're up and down the field, we make a bad play, and while we're on the field, we're still thinking about that play. And uh, what you're suggesting is similar to what my sports psychologist shared with me a number of years ago, which is instead of try to block that idea, sit with, with it for a second, let it run its course, and then you're able to access more flow state or being more present on the next play. And of course, you know how essential it is for an athlete. You know, Andre Uigudala is an investor in Thrive and a Friend. And and he and I were talking about that, and he was telling me how if he starts ruminating after a bad play, and there's no athlete that hasn't made a bad play, it makes him less effective. It makes him <laughs> less yep. able to, to make their next right move. 
So that's kind of what Tim Galloway called the inner game of tennis, the inner game of golf, the inner game of any game. Hmm. Um, is just as important as all your outer skills. And what Andre found is that if he's sleep deprived, he's more likely to ruminate. He's more likely mentally to stay beating himself up. And the more recharged he is, the more able he is to move on. And in a sense, Tom Brady is saying the same thing when he talks about how getting enough sleep and not having all the digital technology that most of us have in his bedroom and eating right uh, made it it possible for him to win a Super Bowl at 43. So all these things are interconnected. Yeah, and you talk a lot about sleep. So we'll, we'll stay on this for a second because one of the things that you reference is that athletes different than most occupational disciplines have been so far slightly ahead of the curve when it comes to sleep and recovery because it's tied through sports science to their performance. However, call it until the last decade, it has been the opposite in the workplace where it has almost been like hyper and macho and all of like the the, the high masculine qualities of less sleep means more effective. And what you found, and, and you ran into this on your own as as a, a high octane successful CEO of Huffington Post is like, you're going to crash at some point and sleeping more is going to make you more effective in fewer hours. Exactly, I think um, the science of sleep is relatively new because as you said, for decades, indeed centuries, Mm-hmm. Uh, we have glamorized people who can push through exhaustion, who can power through, who can be on 24-7. I mean, look at our language, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Yeah. Um, you snooze, you lose. You know, we are swimming in that culture. So now the science is so unequivocal that getting enough sleep It's not just good for our bodies, it's great for our brains, and it makes us more creative, more productive. And in fact, at Thrive, we started collecting stories from super successful people, athletes like Andre or Kevin Durant, or we had a great um, um, interview with Kobe Bryant on the same subject. Business people like Jeff Bezos wrote on Thrive why he gets eight hours sleep hmm. because he said, that's how I make my best decisions. And if you are running a big company, you are judged by the decisions you make, the quality of your decisions, not the quantity of your decisions. That's right. And on the on the leadership front, it's something that you have referenced a lot is that, hey, high IQ does not mean you're a great leader. It's about being able to see the big picture. And those micro steps that you continue to touch on, I think can be part one of two ways we go about personal and professional improvement as I'm gathering it from reading more and more and listening to you. Part one is micro steps. Part two is even going to, to the word of 2020 and 2021 for you is resilience. And that means you're facing difficulty, you have faced adversity. My question to you, does it require adversity for, in your experience, personal growth, professional growth to the degree that you have been able to build Thrive Global and others? Meaning crisis management, does that, does that have to kick in 
or are there people who are able to access that growth seemingly living it just a consistently up, upward trajectory life? Well, I don't know anybody who has had <laughs> a consistently upward trajectory. I feel very strongly that people who are considered successful should talk more about their failures. Mm. I can spend the rest of your podcast talking about my failures. And I think that's terribly important because I talk to a lot of young people who are afraid to take risks because they're afraid to fail along the way. Mm. And I was very blessed to have a mother who taught me, as she used to say, that failure is not the opposite of success. It's a stepping stone to success. And that meant I, I took risks. I failed along the way. And that's very, very important. So the truth is that there is no life without adversity. There is no life without challenges. And what we learn from challenges and adversity and how quickly we learn mm. is really a big differentiator uh, in terms of how we live our life and how much we suffer. And, you know, I went through that this year with my younger daughter, who was hit by a bike in the streets of New York and, and has been uh, dealing with chronic headaches, kind of moving from anger at the universe, you know, why me, feeling victimized, to the serenity prayer, you know, of accepting what you cannot change, changing what you can and having the wisdom to know the difference is an incredible journey. It's really a spiritual journey, but it's also a journey about how you approach life. And then you can look back at the person you were, and she and I do that sometimes, you know, before the accident, the person you are now, and you see the inner growth is extraordinary. And would it have happened without the accident? Theoretically, yes. Hmm. But in practice, uh, most people grow through adversity. We're going to take a quick break to talk about one of our show's presenting partners, public.com. They're an investing social network, and they're a free app where you can own the companies you believe in and share ideas in a community of investors. The benefit of that community, there are built-in learning opportunities. So you and I can talk about companies and market trends that we believe in, and we educate ourselves, pick up perspectives from others. You can follow me on there. I'm at Paul Rabel. Other people on the platform, former suiting up guest Tony Hawk, former suiting up guest Professor Scott Galloway. There's the Breakfast Club's Angela Yee. Maybe she'll be a guest one day. This week, I talked about two companies. One was Sony and the other was Comcast. Both shared their earnings report and both had big profits. Comcast, notably, their Peacock subscribers went to 42 million. And with Sony, former guest on the show, Tom Rothman, who's the chairman of the Motion Picture Group, their Motion Picture Group, despite theaters being closed in 2020, showed a profit of over $750 million. So you can choose, if you'd like to, to invest in those public companies like Sony or Comcast or choose amongst a number of thousands of others. Public.com has no commission fees on standard trades, which is unique, and there are no account minimums to get started, which means you can invest as little as $1 in a stock that trades at 1000 hypothetically. So sign up at public.com forward slash suiting up today. That's public.com forward slash suiting up. And I'll get you started with $10 in free stock so you can try it out and see it for yourself. Here's the fine print. Valid for U.S. residents 18 and older and subject to account approval. See public.com forward slash disclosures for more. That should have me covered. 
This show is also supported by Suit Shop. They are a one-stop shop for all things suiting for any special occasion, but especially when wedding planning. Allow me to explain. Not only do they offer virtual appointments, an easy-to-use online fit finder, free swatches, and free shipping and exchanges, they also have the most size-inclusive fit range of any online suiting retailer at a price you just can't ignore. Not to mention a wedding group management dashboard to make your suiting and your wedding party a total breeze. A word no one has ever used to describe suiting a group of men. And I can attest to that as I was at my brother's wedding last weekend in a suit shop tux, and it was fabulous. So thank you to Suit Shop for sending. And I can attest that this $194 suiting option that they have for anybody and everybody, no matter your body type, race, or gender identity, they... That's right, they even have suits and tuxedos for dogs. So if you're a dog like me, and if price wasn't an issue, which it's not here, Suit Shop gave us a special code for our listeners. You can get 10% off your first purchase when you use code SUP10 at checkout. That's S-U-P for Suiting Up Podcasts. Use S-U-P10 at checkout. You can get a two-piece suit for only $175 to own, not to rent, to own. So check out suitshop.com today. Adversity in sport could be playing poorly, being injured, losing a game, uh, the season ending without making the playoffs. Yeah. Let's talk about injury for a second, and then I'll ask you why I'm going and tying this to sports. So crisis management for a company, three ways to solve. Acknowledge the problem, recognize your role, and then overcorrect. In injury with athletes, you have no choice but to recognize you tore your ACL. Then to get in there and have the surgery, the third step in overcorrect is typically physical therapy and rehab. But what happens is you learn about your body along the way and things that you should change so you're less injury prone. But what we run up against as athletes as companies and entrepreneurs, and then even personally, is once we do fix the pain or the problem, I find the commitment to consistency is where I miss personally and what lacks a lot is, oh, I've now rehabbed my knee, I'm gonna stop using the monster bands on a daily basis because it's not signaling every day that I have this pain. So with micro steps and all of these lessons that you teach, how do you create or can you, or is it internal in your commitment, that signaling of pain that is no longer there when you've healed? I love that question because I see the same thing everywhere, not just in sports. Uh, like people who have been through life-threatening uh, disease like cancer, and um, while they were dealing with the disease, you know, they made all these promises to themselves to live their lives differently, to not uh, sweat the small things, to spend more time with their family, whatever it is they wanted. And the minute they're in remission, I've talked to so many people like that, it's back to where they were before, exactly yep. <laughs> what you mentioned about athletes. So that's where we believe micro steps come in. If you can integrate these small micro steps into your life, let's say whatever exercises you are doing for your knee, can you maybe just do a minute of them when you're mm. back so that you don't maybe do as much and as long as you were doing before, but you keep it in your 
repertoire every day. And, uh, and then you see the difference and you add a little more and you add a little more. So you break it down in a way that is doable without um, pressure on yourself. I saw a stat that you had uh, reported on from the University of Scranton that said that 92% of people fail to keep their New Year's resolution, then 80% fail by the second week of February. So it's exactly what we're talking about. Um, the, the other thing that you had harped on, though, is your mother and your relationship to her and how she was essentially a mentor and a guardian and all the likes. Mentorship to me is is one of the more accessible things and one of the, perhaps the benefits of, of new technology that doesn't have to live as much on a linear path. I'm interested in your opinion. A lot of people will maybe convey that they're less fortunate because they don't have the access to a potential mentor. So mentors can come familially, platonically, in the professional workplace, or you can be mentored by someone you've never met, someone who's deceased by reading their materials and accessing podcasts and such. How important are mentors to you and what type of advice do you give your network around accessing mentorship and how to utilize it well? I completely agree. I think you can find mentors anywhere. I think it would be great in life to have an accountability body. Hmm. They don't have to be mentors. They can be a colleague, a friend. Uh, they don't have to be somebody who is teaching you. But I love the concept of accountability bodies. I mean, you know how it is. It's like if I'm going to go for a run and I have somebody meeting me, I'm much, much less likely to break it. Yeah. Or if I'm um, committing to going to sleep before midnight, which incidentally I'm a big believer in, Paul, and there's tons of science around it, I, I don't commit to going to bed at the same time every night because I don't like to ever make commitments that I'm not going to keep. Uh, but before midnight, you know, your whole system is primed to have a, a more recharging night's sleep. My daughters, for example, you know, when I was traveling a lot, one of them would send me a little text, whatever time zone, hey, you know, getting close to midnight and you're still texting, you know, put your phone down, go to sleep. Yeah. So I think that's something I'm a big believer in. Mentoring, I agree with you. I mean, I try to use all my social media, you know, whether it's LinkedIn, Instagram, anything, to inspire and motivate people. Hmm. I think social media can be a source of inspiration or it can be a terrible source of comparisons and um, feeling bad about yourself and your life. And, and I feel very strongly that we should unfollow any account that makes us feel less about ourselves mm. and uh, and just stay with people who who we can use as kind of virtual mentors i like that you, you've also suggested as part of a micro step to turn off notifications and things that would elicit maybe that casino style dopamine release which is a lot of what the psychology slash engineers at Google and Facebook put in, and even Twitter. I mean, the, the act of thumbing down the screen on your phone for a refresh on new tweets is the same pull down of a slot machine yes. in a casino. So there's a, a lot of strategy that goes into the platforms sucking us in and the latest shift around 
acquiring users and customers to now just keeping us on the app for as long as possible. They care about watch time, so time in the casino to use that reference. You talk about putting your own oxygen mask on first. And in a way, it's, it, you know, it's what we've been discussing so far, which is taking care of yourself. We also live in a society that has really uh, condemned the notion of self and selfishness that's tied to self. And so you know, we go into a place where we have to balance what the world may perceive us as being selfish because we're carving out time for ourselves versus maybe others. And the priority using that airplane analogy of putting your mask on so you then can help others. Can you talk about why that's so important? Well, because in fact, we know that as they tell us on airplanes, when we can't breathe, when we ourselves are running on empty, we're not going to be of much use to anybody else. So even people whose whole lives is devoted to social activism, to making the world a better place, are beginning to realize that when they also take care of themselves, they're going to be better activists hmm. in a sustainable way. I was just talking to Van Jones, for example, in my podcast, and and he looked at his life. He looked at how he had let himself go. His cholesterol was high. His his health was deteriorating. And because it's almost like he felt it was self-indulgent or a luxury to take care of himself. So we need to change that mindset hmm. and see self-care as part of our work to make the world better. And sleep is one that we touched on. The other is tapping into gratitude. And you've had journals for expressing gratitude, journals for expressing worry, as we had mentioned. Gratitude journals are, are hard for me because my mind always goes toward family, food, and shelter. And like, isn't that just great and enough? But I found that that, that also is a repellent in a way to continue the process. So what type of tips do you have for a daily gratitude journal? Love that. Well, first of all, it doesn't have to be a journal. Okay. It can be what we call a Thrive Habit Stacking. So if you're doing things that don't require your brain, like brushing your teeth or washing your hands, uh, you can use that time to remember three things you're grateful for. And they don't have the big things, you know, health, family, etc. They can be little things, like I love um, lime in my water. Yeah. So I can be grateful that I have plenty of lime here. You know, the sunshine, or I'm now, I, I like to obsess over certain songs which I play on repeat endlessly until I'm sick of them. Right now, it's Champagne Problems by Taylor Swift. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, listening to Champagne Problems. So, you know, I think kind of making it like small things, I like to call them joy triggers. And the big scientific reason for that, Paul, is that gratitude and anxiety cannot coexist. Mm. So especially during times of incredible uncertainty, like we are all still going through, practicing gratitude many times a day, with or without a journal, is a way to minimize our anxiety. You know, we talked about you and me being ruminators. Right. A lot of people... Uh, have another uh, stress type, which is called negative bias. You know, they tend to look at the future and imagine the worst. Mm. 
-hmm. And the truth is we don't know. (laughs) But instead of saying, I don't know what the future brings, they imagine the worst. And our brain and our bodies, when we imagine the worst, we experience it as though it's happening. You know, I don't know if you've ever been lying in bed at night and you hear a noise and immediately you imagine a burglar has broken in. Pretty regularly, actually. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, suddenly you have all the physiological symptoms of your heart palpitating, you know, all the things that would have happened if there was really a burglar. Right. You know, I tell my daughters, don't lose in your own fantasies. We're going to take our second break from the show to highlight another one of our presenting partners, OutSystems. They are a partner of ours that keeps our business going. OutSystems makes applications that make the difference and solve the needs for your company. Allow me to explain. They empower their internal teams to develop and deploy innovative cloud applications for capturing new markets, delivering new services, and winning new customers for you. What's a cloud application? It's an app. So the app is gonna show up with your company's white labeled logo on it. It's gonna look like your app, even though it was developed by OutSystem and you're gonna click on it. It's going to be amazing if you, i.e. me, is your customer. That's how it works. So they've worked with the PLL. We're gonna continue to work with them. They work with companies like Mercedes-Benz, Warner Brothers, Honda, Exxon, and more. So Fortune 500 businesses, startups, everywhere in between, they have solutions for you. Check out how you can build the difference for your company with OutSystems today at OutSystems.com. Okay, new sponsor for the show. Everyone clap. Everyone in the room clap. And this is particularly helpful for this show because this company helps us all sleep better. They're called Eight Sleep. Have you ever heard that you need to sleep at 68 degrees Fahrenheit? I heard that once. And it's a myth. Science suggests that there is no one universal sleep temperature that can give you deep quality sleep. It's very bespoke. Our sleeping temperature needs change throughout the night too as body temperature affects both your circadian rhythm and sleep quality. We've talked about circadian rhythm before on my YouTube channel. We'll talk about it more on the podcast. However, the average mattress actually absorbs your body heat, giving you those nasty night sweats, which I'm familiar with, and causing restlessness, which I'm also familiar with. Allow me to explain, but first, I've been working with 8Sleep and their Pod Pro technology. It's the most advanced solution on the market for thermoregulation, so it pairs dynamic cooling and heating with biotech that allows you to go to bed at a certain temperature where you feel it from your mattress and it changes as you get closer to waking up. The Pod Pro can start sleeping as cool as 55 degrees or as hot as 110 degrees Fahrenheit. The temperature of the Pod Pro will adjust each side of the bed based on your sleep stages, biometrics, and bedroom temperature, reacting intelligently to create the optimal sleeping environment. So it will cut your bed in half if you have a partner and they can choose their own temperature. This was the best part though. It has wearable tech that's integrated into the mattress. So you then get all of your reads on how you slept on top of the temperature settings that comes with the Pod Pro. So quickly before the CTA, My take, I've been using this for a month. It's easy to set up. I love the scientists and product engineers. And to be honest, what clicked for me out of the gates was the wearable integration. I've used other devices before. I'm restless in my sleep. You can count my toss and turn. Sometimes I pull the devices off or they run out of battery. So the fact that I didn't have to worry about that and I knew that based on my heart rate and my restlessness, this thing would pick up 
my sleep. Sometimes I forget to check my app in the morning and then I check it the next day and I can go back and see. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way through Sunday, I can see, I'll give you a couple of performance rates. I underperformed on Monday, probably because it was the day after my brother's wedding, likely due to alcohol, stress levels, work needing to be done. My rating was an 82, but I logged seven hours and 55 minutes, so almost eight hours, but I had trouble reaching deep sleep. I only hit it 17% of the night. Compare that to Wednesday, where I actually hit a 92 rating. I slept less, just seven hours, but 25% of that was in deep sleep, and I only had eight toss and turns, so I was in that bed like a mummy. If that interests you, you can go to 8sleep.com forward slash suiting up to check out the Pod Pro and save $150 at checkout. That's a lot. The promo code at checkout is suiting up if you don't go to 8sleep.com forward slash suiting up, or you could do both. 8sleep.com forward slash suiting up, promo code suiting up to save $150 on this epic sleeping device. For athletes out there, the the note that you gave us around joy not being able to coexist with negative thought or rumination is uh, when you're ruminating on the floor. One of the one of the things I picked up from Jay Williams, who was one of the greats at Duke basketball, played with Shane Battier in the Coach K era of of winning a bunch of championships. He talked about their captain Shane Battier and how he would pull Jay out of his negative experiences by supporting him. And then he told Jay, one way to get out of these negative rifts that you're in as a player is to go pat another teammate on the back. Because when we're celebrating them, it's that same inexperience of being able to ruminate in our in our bad performance. So one of the quick hacks, so to speak, if if we're all on the path to figuring out how to minimize our internal mammoths is go support other people yeah. and share and share thanks and gratitude for their plays. And it gets you off of your downward spiral. Absolutely. Big believer in that. In fact, it's kind of amazing how much we can learn from athletes. Yeah. Because as you said, athletes were ahead of the rest of us in recognizing that first of all, peak performance cycles have to alternate with recovery cycles. Mm. That's very new for the corporate world. But you guys who had to perform at these um, incredible rates, you know, you had the score to show yeah. when you were ruminating on, or when you had drunk too much the night before or not slept, you know, these things were not hidden. Yeah, there, there's also an instant feedback loop in sports in that every weekend our performance is judged based on a binary outcome. And that's why, frankly, a lot of athletes are challenged to transition away from sport into life is that life is far more fluid and gray. And we're used to knowing a result. And so much that it's, you know, I, I, I feel it's one of the reasons why the American culture had such a long uh, path to embracing global football, soccer, is that you could tie. And like Americanism is like, how could you tie? Right? It's impossible. <laughs> but like we live in a world of ties, you know, and compromise. And so this is why a lot of this stuff is is particularly interesting for me. I have a question tied to your hard charging entrepreneurial career. Building Huffington Post pre-Thrive, you were working 18 hour days, seven days a week. I have asked 
workplace psychologists, sports psychologists, my therapists, other athletes, is it possible that had it been in reverse order for you and Ariana started Thrive before HuffPost, could she have built HuffPost into one of the three largest news media sources at one point in time? Could she have sold it for $350 million to AOL? Or is that just kind of the trajectory of one thing leading to the other? It's the kind of the age old Michael Jordan question. For him to be the greatest ever, did he have to sacrifice relationships in that cutthroat nature? That's such a fantastic question and thank you for asking it because I will categorically say no. In my specific um, instance, first of all, my collapse from burnout and exhaustion happened in 2007. I, I launched the Huffington Post in 2005. All the success of the Huffington Post happened after 2007. Hmm. So um, even, even within the small case study of the Huffington Post, the truth is that when I started recognizing that when I took care of myself, when I didn't power through exhaustion, I made better decisions. I was much clearer about what we had to do. It's so important to underline that because we are living in this culture that really still glamorizes the founder. You know, the founder archetype mm -hmm. is someone who never sleeps, the lights are always on, and then has this huge success. But we see in so many instances, I mean, I was on the board of Uber and we saw how that burnout culture led to so many problems that nearly derailed the company. Hmm. And we see in the fact that three quarters of startups, Paul, fail. So maybe if startup entrepreneurs did not buy into this culture of driving yourself through exhaustion, they would make better decisions and fewer startups would fail. But definitely in my case, I'm without really any question, managing my energy better led to better decisions. And that applies to everyone. I like that a lot. Our ability to manage our energy versus thinking about managing our calendars. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, that resonates. And I, I get that question a lot, Ariana, where uh, you know it, it's part of a pleasantry in a Zoom call with a potential partner is like, when in the day do you sleep, Paul? Yeah. Do you sleep? <laughs> and I'm gonna start telling people, I actually sleep plenty, sleep eight hours. <laughs> and this is more about our energy management. Because, you know, you know, I know that when I'm sleep deprived, I'm the worst version of myself. Mm. I'm less creative. I'm less empathetic. And also, I don't have the joy uh, that I love having in my life. I mean, I, I now judge my day based not just on how productive I was, because frankly, that's kind of table stakes. I mean, you know you can be productive. I know I can be productive. Yeah. What else? <laughs> like, can I be really creative and innovative? Can I uh, also find joy in what I'm doing? For me, these are sort of very important uh, barometers of how I'm doing. Amazing. Well, on the energy front and on the time front as well, um, you've spent a, a, a large amount of it with us today. And on my gratitude journal tonight, I'm going to uh, write down that I had a conversation with Ariana Huffington. 
So thank you so much for sharing all this. I will write that I had a conversation with you. I loved it. Thank you so much. Um, we would love to feature what you are doing on Thrive and inspire others. And I look forward to meeting each other when uh, the pandemic is over. Absolutely. Thank you again. Thank you so much. To quote Ariana from the cover of her latest books she so graciously sent our way, your time to thrive, here it is. We can all attempt to end burnout, increase well-being, and unlock our full potential with the new science of micro steps. Those steps we talked about on the show, and there are plenty more in her book. And while we're at it, after the show, coming full circle to my intro about Adam Grant, he wrote a New York Times article actually coining the feeling that many of us had throughout the pandemic. Like, are we actually burnt out? I don't feel like I am, but I feel tired and unmotivated though that almost feels like it's coming more from my body than my mind. He and Ariana have referenced this, and they call it languishing. I'll read it from their Instagram share. Languishing is a name for the blah you're feeling, the void between depression and flourishing, the absence of well-being. It can dull your motivation and focus, and it may be the dominant emotion of 2021. Ariana, thank you so much for joining me on the show. I know I'm miles and miles and miles away from the interviewer's Ariana, thank you so much for joining me on the show. I know that I'm miles and miles and miles away from the interviewers who are miles and miles away from Oprah Winfrey, but I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. And I'm prioritizing my sleep. Work will be there tomorrow. Hope to see you for that coffee and walk in LA very soon. This show is presented by public.com. By creating a whole new way to invest, public also makes the stock market social so you can follow other investors, discover companies to believe in, and invest with any amount of your money. Follow me on public. I'm at Paul Rabel. I give weekly musings in sport tech and media. This week, I talked about the earnings reports from both Comcast and Sony. Sony's chairman of Sony Motion Picture Entertainment Group, Tom Rothman, was also a guest on the show. I believe it was episode number three or four. If you haven't listened to that, you should, given what he's been able to do through the earnings report of their 2020 success. Check out public.com and you can potentially place stocks on companies like those. I'm not your wealth management advisor. And OutSystems, they provide tools to help companies quickly build apps from web to mobile. When it came to the PLL, last year we used them to build our COVID app for the health and safety measures of our players, staff, coaches. We'll use them again this year and you add on fans. Check out OutSystems.com, how your company can use them today. Ah, and lastly, we announced our schedule a few weeks ago. We're 30 days from the first game, June 4th at Gillette, and our season is presented by Ticketmaster, their official ticketing partner. Every day we have this channel in our Slack. It's called Celebrations. I'm seeing tickets just get run through. People are excited to get out and go to these games, and that is because of our friends at Ticketmaster have created a safe environment as their priority. Everything has the appropriate COVID policy, as well as our top class seat manifest for each of our venues. Buy your PLL tickets while they last. Capacities are limited at each of these venues and each of these markets. Go to Ticketmaster.com, and I'll see you this summer. Everything from this show was made possible by our incredible team at PLL Podcast. This one was produced and edited by Mr. Brett Roberts, researched by Andrew Manning, graphics and design by Liam Murphy, coordinated by RJ Kaminsky, and our overtime newsletter from Mr. Joe Keegan. We'll see everyone next week.